Hey, hey, hi, hi, hi. Welcome to I Know, I Know, a solo Beatles podcast where I talk about the four careers of the solo Beatles. We hope you are not the only people here, and we thank you and give you very much gratitude for being here. So I would like to welcome my special guest, Ken Michaels, who has been running every little thing and being has been a radio broadcaster for almost 40 years. This is actually his 39th anniversary this week. That's he right. host of Things We Said Today, which is one of the best Beatles podcasts out there, and one of the best solo Beatles podcasts out there, Talk More Talk. How are you doing? Thank you. <laughs> I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me on, Hudson. Oh, no problem. What did you think of Zoom in? Well, uh, I love everything that I'm hearing, but uh, true confession, I just have the MP3s right now. I've been waiting for my CDs to come in um, from the record company. So I just know the music. I don't know all the musicians on every single track, but I know the songs really well. I've listened to those five songs many times over <laughs> in the past day, and it's really strong overall. I, I mean, um, I think that... Uh, there's a certain confidence, I think, that Ringo has built up over the years. He's very comfortable with himself. All the songs that he writes these days or records, for the most part, have a very positive message. And I think that's really important to him. And, um, you know, it, he's not as much concerned about writing at the moment because of the five songs on here, he's only co-written one of them. But um, I love all the songs on there. I think they're all fairly strong um probably the one i like the least is the reggae tune which is the one that ringo co-wrote but i still love it i would you know? agree with that uh teach me to tango is an excellent song and uh you know it, it's a good thing hooking up with sam hollander which he was on uh, on the last album um yeah. with what's your name um he he very cleverly with all of his albums especially since the Mark Hudson days, he'll co-write with a lot of people. Um, and usually those people will contribute one or two songs as a writer. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing right now with Sam Hollander. And I think that's been a good addition to, uh, to Ringo's music. Um, it's, you can't judge this as you want an album because it's half an album. So, uh, but I'm really pleased with it. You know, uh, the, the song with, um, that was written by Steve Lukather and Joseph Williams from Toto, Not Enough Love in the World. That's probably the catchiest tune of the five. If we were living at a time when Top 40 Radio was playing Ringo Starr, of those five songs, I would probably pick that one the most as a single. But, um, you know, all the songs are really strong for the most part. I with you yeah. about that being a single. I think that would have been a perfect choice to be mm. a pretty big, decent hit for Ringo. If it was the seventies or the, it was teach me to tango. I was afraid it was going to be a tango all night, which is not a song I am a fan of. For my oh okay, Ringo the Fourth. How come you don't like tango all night? It's just never been a favorite of mine. I don't know why. Okay. Hey, listen. At your age, I'm surprised you know all this stuff because you you're dealing with a catalog that Beatles and solo. It's over a hundred albums. Yeah. So, you know, do you know all the solo music thoroughly? 
Um, some of the Mark Hudson stuff, I'm not, I've only heard like the albums once or twice, but Vertical Man is a top three Ringo album for me. That's a great one. And I really yeah. love the song, I'm Never Without You, which I think is in his top 10 for a solo career easily. Okay. Well, but, um, I've often said that the the three, well, the first three uh, albums with Mark Hudson as co-producer and working with the Roundheads, Vertical Man, Ringo Rama, and Choose Love are three of his best albums of all time, along with the Ringo album and Time Takes Time. And, uh, you know, after that, you had Liverpool 8, which started with Mark Hudson, and then Dave Stewart took over as producer. So it's part Mark Hudson album. And you got the Christmas album, too. But uh, those three albums with Mark Hudson and, and the Roundheads are killer albums, song per song, really, you know, very solid, consistently strong. So, uh, yeah, I was wondering if maybe uh, maybe you were named after Mark Hudson. I was not. <laughs> no? Mark, no. Will, Mark will not be happy about that then. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Mark seems like a cool guy. He is. You know, I've interviewed him a couple of times and he's got great stories to tell. He's invaluable with, you know, the experiences that he's had with Ringo. And of course, on the Ringo albums, he's worked with George and, and with Paul. Yeah. And he, he did meet John in the 70s. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of stories that he has to tell. And Beyond that, he's a great songwriter and musician and producer. You know, he started out, I believe, as a drummer. So that's one thing I've never talked to him about, really, is from the perspective of a drummer, you know, what it is about Ringo that he really admires, you know? And I forgot to mention your new YouTube page, which is really fantastic. Oh, I thank you. Going through your other thing. I think it's going to really grow in stature when time goes on. I hope so. I, I like to mix it up between really serious interviews and the lighter ones, which, you know, like you're familiar with my number nine dream concept. Yeah. So I felt like with other people like um, the two legs guys coming up with rank the tracks, something apart from everything else that they do to do something lighter. And uh, it's just, you know, I always wanted to use the title number nine dream for something and uh, I think it's a great idea because for anyone that's not familiar with it um, I asked my guest to pick a particular beetle and then I have three different categories about that beetle where I asked them to name their top three in each category so like in the case of uh, Jeff Slate who was my first uh, guest who participated in that he had to name his three favorite George Harrison Beatles songs, his three favorite George Harrison solo songs, and three favorite George Harrison solo albums. So it doesn't have to always be those categories. I can pick anything I want. Top three John Lennon vocals of all time, you know, whatever I, I feel like. And it makes people think, and it's just, it's a lot of fun. And you hear different opinions from different people. So I'll keep doing more of that, but mixing that with more of the serious stuff, one-on-one -on -one interviews of people. Yeah, I started the interview with um, Dylan this morning and that was really great. He's really something, yeah. you know, he has incredible knowledge of the solo music and his opinions are really, I love hearing the way he thinks, whether I agree with him or not, it doesn't matter. I like hearing different opinions. And especially if it's coming from 
people who are a different age from me, because Dylan is almost 30 now and I'm several decades older than him. And, uh, you know, I like hearing from older people than myself, the few that are left. And so you get different opinions from different age groups and it's all valid. I love to hear what young people have to say about the Beatles, whether they're just discovering them now, how they feel about their music. Do they like their early stuff? Do they like their later stuff? Do they like the solo music? Is there one Beatle that they lean towards? All that stuff. I find all that fascinating and I want to know why each person feels that way. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I know you've interviewed Ringo. Hmm. How many, when was your first Ringo interview? August 28th, 1992. Oh, wow. And um, that was during his second all-star band tour and that was in new jersey and um actually during those days well for most of his all-star band tours up until fairly recently in the middle of the show he would let individual performers have solo numbers and he would go off stage so while that happened i interviewed him for like five minutes (laughs) five to ten minutes and um and he was wonderful the thing is uh I really want to talk to Ringo about his songwriting. It's something that he doesn't really talk about in depth. You know that he's credited for co-writing so many songs. And now after Mark Hudson with so many different people from Dave Stewart to Van Dyke Parks to Richard Marks to Gary Burr, Gary Nicholson, you know, you name it. And each one of them, the, the songs are different. For that reason, I think the other songwriter plays probably a bigger part, maybe. Um, But I want to know, in the case of all those songs, how much does Ringo write? Is there any kind of formula at all? Does he just write the words? Does he come up with the melody and the other person writes the lyrics? You know, he's never really talked in depth about that. So I'd love to know more about that. I would too, because, you know, we kind of got that from John Paul and George, but not much Ringo, because Ringo's blossomed into a pretty good songwriter, I think. You sounded more like me, Hudson. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like a lot of the things that I've been saying, but yeah, um, certainly in the 70s, he was writing a lot with Vinnie Poncia, and I loved the songs that he wrote with Vinnie, and then there are the few with George Harrison, and then a few songs with Joe Walsh on Old Wave. And, um, you know, once he started working with Mark Hudson, almost every single song on his albums have been a co-write. Granted, a lot of the stuff with the Roundheads could be three, four or five songwriters on the same song, but Ringo had input on all of them. And I, I have talked to Mark Hudson about the songwriting and he says Ringo's really brilliant and he has a lot of great ideas and there's no set formula as to how he writes. But um, yeah, I'd love to know more about that because so much of this material really is really strong. Um, You know, I love all the albums since Mark Hudson. I don't think they're as strong as, but then at the same time, there's a huge difference between um, the Mark Hudson period and the post Mark Hudson period because so much of what he did with Mark was very Beatley. But I think Mark wanted to bring that out more and um there's nothing wrong with that and i know that ringo's proud of it but i don't think that he wants it to all be like that and 
everything being formulaic. And, um, and that's why the album since Mark Hudson, there's so much more, I feel, variety in the music and so many different styles. And, you know, very little, very little that I would say is Beatley yeah. after Mark Hudson. So, um, you know, nothing wrong with having a Beatles sound. After all, he was one of them. Yeah. But, you know, there comes a time when you can't solely rely on that. And um, I think he's branched out quite a lot since then, whether or not the songs that he's co-written with all these other people are as strong as the songs he wrote with Mark and the Roundheads. That's up to each fan to decide that. But I'm very impressed with the fact that, you know, it was kind of late in his career, but he still did it. The songwriting, you know, he could have just continued putting out albums and, and just covering other people's material, having other artists submit stuff to him and writing one or two songs on an album. But I like to point out Ringo the Fourth was a very significant album because he co-wrote six of the 10 songs on that album. So, and I like most of them, maybe not out in the streets, <laughs> but you know, Gave It All Up is one of my favorite songs of Ringo's solo career. So um, yeah, but it's been different with all the different people that he's written with. And uh, it doesn't matter how long as you get there as a songwriter, as long as you get there. And that's an aspect of Ringo's career that I wish people would talk more about. I'm very happy when they're giving him more credit now as a drummer, but you should take a look at the stuff that he's been writing. Yeah. Ringo the Fourth has got some good songs on it. Hmm. Drowning in the Sea of Love, or as I like to say in Vermont, Drowning in the Sea of Snow. <laughs> and um wings but i do prefer the 20 the ringo 2012 version are really great tracks okay it's a bit more up tempo and a tighter arrangement of wings yeah yeah i like both you know i love the ballads on site too it's no secret is yeah, a favorite or gypsies in flight and simple love song i think was a great song they are both all great songs mm. it's kind of an underrated album most of Ringo's albums are underrated. <laughs> Except, um, I would say Ringo and Goodnight Vienna, because those two usually get their due, I think. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I hope we'll talk about on Talk More Talk is what caused this, this spiral, you know, the, his career really taking a, a downturn right after Goodnight Vienna. What was know. the difference? I don't know what it is with Road to Gravity or because I actually like Road to Gravity or better than Goodnight Vienna. Okay. I love that was my first Ringo album ever that I heard, so it could be sentimental attachment. Hmm. But I've always loved a dose of rock and roll. Hey baby. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was like the last project that John worked on before he went into retirement, because seventy six and then right. it was four years, you think about it. Yeah, I I really think Ring of the Fourth is very underrated, and um, you know, hey, uh, I'm not you're just talking about Rotogravure, but I love a dose of rock and roll. Hey, baby, is okay. <laughs> I mean, I love I love the song, 
don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's just that I'm not this big a fan of Ringo being part of the crowd and singing along instead of having lead vocals where his vocals stand out. And in the chorus, it's like, hey, we're at a party. We're all singing yeah. along. You know? know, I'd rather hear Ringo sing with some background singers in the background. You know, I don't really like that approach, you know. And now we have here's to the knights, <laughs> which is, you know, a lot of people in the chorus singing along with them. So, yeah, but you was... do hear Ringo more in the mix. There. Yeah. Here's to the knights, I think, was one of his best songs ever in the last recent years, I think. Hmm. Do you like that song more than the other four songs on the EP? I think so. Hmm. Zoom in, zoom out. I wasn't super wild about zoom in, zoom out and the... um reggae flavored track what's the name of it it's from um it'll come to me <laughs> yeah uh waiting for the tide to turn yeah waiting for the tide to turn those are the two lesser tracks but the other three are perfect i think hmm. but it's like ranking cloud nine or tug of war there is no bad songs on it i thought yeah I i'm pleased i'm wondering why i know he said last year or a couple of years ago he just wants to do eps now yeah. i mean if he's putting out another ep in october like he just said that's the equivalent to putting out an album anyway yeah. but um maybe for business reasons it's kind of smart because he gets attention twice as each one comes out it keeps yeah. his name out there so i love hearing all of his new stuff it's also very frustrating when you grow to love a lot of this material and most of it he doesn't do live. So you probably heard me say on, on uh, things we said today or talk more talk, how frustrating it is to have a song called We're On The Road Again. And it's a great rock song. And Steve Lukather wrote it or co-wrote it. Steve Lukather is in the band with him. They're on the road. <laughs> Why don't you do the song? Know. it's such a natural it's like you couldn't write it any better than that and you know he chooses to do very few of his new songs yeah so kind of i i feel like the i've really i've never seen any beetle in person yet any what any beetle in person live okay yet but the same what I've heard for Paul that he only play he plays mostly Beatles and like the seventies hits and just his new stuff. There's no stuff from like Flaming High, Tug of War, Flowers in the Dirt, Off the Ground. Do you know how much I would dot love to see him play Looking for Changes live? Hmm. Well, you had to be there then when you did do it live <laughs> yeah. in, in nineteen ninety-three. That's the thing, you know, in a way when you just do the new material from your new album and then a year or two goes by and you have a new tour and you don't revisit that album it's kind of like saying i'm only playing it because it's the new album and i'm not necessarily that proud of it and um you know it's a shame i mean he has done you mentioned flaming pie he has done calico skies you know oh yeah because he did that do that at amoeba yeah, well, you know, you have to go back since this new band of the last 20 years, several tours, he's done Calico Skies. And, um, you know, from Tug of War, he only does here today. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I don't know. You know, 
I mean, he did Ebony and Ivory in the 89-90 tour. There's so much great material that he's done. You know, I think ever since 1989, since that tour started, he he's live. He's become Beatle Paul. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with showing your pride of that catalog. It's the greatest group catalog of all time. And for a long time, he didn't play all that much from it. So if he wanted to go gangbusters and start playing songs that he never did live at all, ever, especially past 1966, um, sure. What's wrong with that? You know, nobody would argue that, you know, a Beatles song is a crowd pleaser, but he's had so much success. Do you know how many people in this world would kill to have the success that Paul McCartney's had since the Beatles? And yet, you know, 60% of his concerts since 1989 is really Beatles. And like you said, there's that, those core 70 songs, Ben on the Run, Jet, um, Live and Let Die, Maybe I'm Amazed, those songs. Let Me Roll It, he does. Um, But not too much from the 80s up to the newest album and it's it's really sad i mean (laughs) there's so much great stuff and um you know if it's up to me i wish it was like a third beatles a third 70s and 80s a third since then maybe something far more balanced you know in his career that's me but at the same time i've also reached a point having done this for so long where i'm just so grateful number one that he's alive, period, yeah. <laughs> that he's doing anything. You know, Paul and Ringo don't have to do anything for the rest of their lives. And I wouldn't blame them if they wanted to retire. They earned it. And, um, you know, for everything that they continue to give us, I'm grateful. I just wish that, you know, everything that you do in this lifetime, people are going to be examining after they're gone. And there's so much great songs, so many great songs that Paul and Ringo have recorded that they've never done live ever and will never have a live document of it. Yeah. And that's kind of sad. I mean, I would love to. I mean, I wish I got to see the concert for Campuchia to hear all the songs from Back to the Egg live, mm. which is my favorite Wings album and easily in my top five McCartney albums. Okay. How come it's your favorite Wings album, if you don't mind my asking? I don't know. It's just hard. It's rocking. Like, my two, my three favorite Wings albums, I'm going to be a little controversial, are Wildlife, Venus and Mars, and Back to the Egg. Okay. Yeah. Well, I can tell you one thing that will please you, Hudson. I actually have a Facebook friend that used to listen to me way back when I was doing my show in New Jersey in the 80s. And he actually said to me recently that Wildlife is his favorite album of all time from anybody. So, you know, when people say that to me, I want to learn why. Yeah. You know, I don't make fun of anyone's opinions. Everyone has a right to like whatever they, they want to. But what is it about Wildlife? Can you shed some light on that why you feel that way it's fun it's rocking you got the woo and mumbo it's got you can it's just pure paul Uh uh-huh and speaking of that what are your top five mccartney albums mccartney and wings combined okay well number one and number two is just so easy for me (laughs) and then i have to think about three four and five 
but if I had to do some kind of a countdown, I'd probably say this is tough because there's so much that I love post wings. And it's yeah. like, how can I not put Ben on the run in there, which you did not. <laughs> Everybody, you know, universally looks at Ben on the run. It's kind of like, you know, the Sergeant Pepper of, I'm, of I'm Paul's. I'm tired out of Ben on the run. Okay. But, you know, happen. I never get tired of the other songs on Ben on the Run right. that you don't hear. I'd much rather hear Mamunia <laughs> or, uh, you know, Helen Wheels. Well, yes. that's the American Ben on the Run. That, that's the only way to listen to the album. It's a not, not a good album without Hen Helen Wheels. You're a smart man, Hudson. <laughs> um, well, I can tell. Well, let me just say number two definitely is Press to Play. Number one is Flowers in the Dirt. So somewhere you've got to put Tug of War, Flaming Pie, and Chaos and Creation in the backyard. It's uh, And then you've also got to put something from the 70s in there like Band on the Run and Ram. Yeah. And maybe Venus and Mars for me. That would be my my top ones, maybe not all in order, but number two is is always pressed to play, and number one is Flowers in the Dirt. That's interesting because not a lot of people have those high, and I am the one person in the world, and do not leave the Zoom meeting for saying this. Flowers <laughs> in the Dirt is my least favorite McCartney album. Not missing any covers albums. It is the one McCartney album that is just never connected with me. Have you ever wondered why? Yes, I actually got to appreciate it more when I heard the demos disc on the um, archive. Okay. That's when I really started to like it. But I mean, I think that there are five or six classics on here. The rest just don't hold up for me. Okay. Is it maybe, maybe the album is too produced or too polished? Maybe. You know, there's a lot of people out there that like Paul... And you've probably heard me talk about this too. In the 70s, he produced everything himself with the few exceptions of George Martin and Chris Thomas co-producing Back to the Egg. Yeah. And then when he started to go into the 80s, he had George Martin first for three albums. Then he started to turn to the hot producers of the time. Yeah. And I still believe that he wouldn't be working with them if he didn't like their, their work anyway. Right. Um, but some people just feel that he's for those albums he has tried to sound contemporary right he cares too much about having a hit record you know that's far more important than being more natural as he was when he produced himself and his stuff that he put out in the 70s whether it's the first two albums or the wings albums we're more pure McCartney, if, for lack of a better term, uh, or organic, if you want to use that word. And, you know, there's, there's something real special about listening to Paul when he's playing all the instruments himself, hearing the acoustic stuff from Paul. A lot of people feel that's just such a magical thing about him when he does his acoustic stuff, like every night in Heart of the Country and yeah. th those kind of songs. And then he carried on with that all throughout his solo career. He does a lot of acoustic stuff anyway, but there is a different vibe altogether when it's just him producing himself as opposed to letting Hugh Padgham produce him or Mitchell Froom or anybody else. You know, I, Flaming Pie is a lot of people like that album and Chaos and Creation 
because there's less production on it. Yeah. The producer or producers don't have as much influence. In fact, I just, you know, the, the, the interview I just did with Dylan Seavey, we talked about this very same thing. Even though Jeff Lynn is on, you know, a substantial part of Flaming Pie, I don't feel Jeff Lynn on that album. It's not like you would listen to a song, maybe The World Tonight, a little bit. But yeah. I don't feel like it's a Jeff Lynn produced album. It sounds closer to McCartney stuff of the 70s. And a lot of people like it for that reason. Yes. Same thing with Chaos and Creation. It's a lot less production on there. Um, more simple, more basic. I'll always remember there's a friend of mine who has followed the solo Beatles, loves McCartney to death. Chaos and Creation came out. He came over to our house. He brought the CD. He slammed it on our kitchen table and he said, this is what I want McCartney to do. This is like the first <laughs> McCartney album. You know, so I have that memory that sticks out in my mind every time I think of Chaos and Creation. And, you know, to me, thinking more like an artist, which I often do, I would say, why would you want him to repeat himself? I want him to keep exploring and doing different things and working with different people. And yet I still love, you know, when he, when he goes back to an old style. But, you know, there are people that want more of that. It's the same thing with McCartney 3. It's the exact same thing. You know, people love McCartney 3 because they, they, it's more of his organic sound. It's everything out of his own brain and nobody else. Every sound that you hear is his. And it sounds more like him. It's more of a pure sound. It's more of an honest sound. It's his more of a signature sound that a lot of people associate with him. Yeah. Instead of, you know, it's not like I listen to Press to Play and think it's a Hugh Padgham album that where Paul is the vocalist. Yeah. I don't think that way because Paul has a hand in everything that he does. You know, he, he has the final say on everything, but it never has reached that point where he's swallowed up in the producer, as far as I'm concerned. But, yeah. you know, that's something that I have found really interesting. And it's really come to light, that opinion about McCartney, because of McCartney 3. I thought that was like chaos, memory, and electric arguments had a child. That's what it sounded like to me, McCartney 3. And I thought it was brilliant all the way hmm. through i certainly heard a lot of chaos in in mccartney three um where do you hear electric arguments i seize the day i don't know why it's just i could just hear it in there hmm. i'm thinking more more of the experimental stuff like deep deep feeling maybe yeah. might be kind of electric argument but uh, the stuff at the fireman has such an ambiance to it. Yeah. It's got this full sound, you know. Um, and then that way, it, it has a different sound. But in terms of the actual compositions, when it's more experimental, I think of electric, electric arguments or press to play. Some of the stuff on Driving Rain. That's what I think about, you know, when I hear more experimental stuff. Driving Rain is a good record. That is an underrated album. Extremely. <laughs> oh, I love this album. It's, it's a good record. 
you know, uh, it's another one like Press to Play that has this reputation of being, you know, one of his worst. And I don't feel that way. I like the album when it came out. I love it much more now than I ever have. Yeah, it almost is chaos-esque because you kind of have to, I feel like you have to be in a downer mood to enjoy the album a little mm. bit. Well, you know, I think part of the problem with Driving Rain is that people associate it with his second wife <laughs> at the time, because <laughs> even though Heather is a great song, that is an incredible I, song. I love I don't love the topic, but that's like my favorite song on the album. Oh, it, I love it. it. I think it's so brilliant. You know, yeah. it's just like riding into Jaipur. Most of it is instrumental and you got one verse <laughs> yeah. and then that's it. Um, and that is in and of itself pretty unusual. You go on for a couple of minutes on Heather and you're waiting for vocals and finally it comes in and then the yeah. song ends. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but it's so catchy and the whole everything that's played on the piano and the melody and as an instrumental, even if there were no words, it works really well as an instrumental. Yeah. But, you know, I, I like most McCartney albums have a combination of more traditional stuff and more newer sounding and experimental stuff. So you've got more traditional, like Lonely Road is, is Stranglehold. That's a classic. <laughs> it, yeah. Um, Lonely Road is a great rock song and it sounded great when he did it live when he toured with it um, and something like Your Love and Flame is more a traditional Paul ballad I Do is also a traditional oh, that's a classic song yeah but then I love the experimental stuff um, yeah. especially Spinning on an Axis which oh, that's I that's a good track that's like that's unlike anything else he's done to me and he plays around a lot with his vocals and i love when he does that and it yeah. sounds very spontaneous you know paul has this image and he and he has for so long of being this perfectionist and everything's got to be just right but there are times when he'll go into the studio and he'll just do a vocal take and it won't be a perfect one and he lets right. it go <laughs> and some people like that you know because it's more real so, but I love spinning on an axis and I love tiny, tiny bubble. Oh, that's so catchy. Yeah. I mean, again, if Paul McCartney was played and, and, and he was aimed towards a younger audience in radio and you can, we can all debate how important radio is these days, but you know, tiny bubble in the seventies would have been a hit. It would have. Lonely road would have been a hit. And there's no songs on here that are on Pierre McCartney, interestingly. No songs from Driving Rain and Flowers in the Dirt. And there's only one well, from Off the Ground. Yeah, that was ridiculous. I thought it, was it, it was said at the time that there was nothing from Flowers because Flowers was about to come out as a box set. Yeah. So he didn't want to hurt the sales of that, I guess. But that's <laughs> ridiculous. If it's a compilation, you should have something from every album. I mean, Lonely Road, that's like a great song to drive to. Yeah. You know, that Helen Wheels is a great song. <laughs> you know, obviously the, you know, the subject matter being what it is, but crank that up in your car and scream your head off singing that, you know? I know. 
So now I'm going to ask you, what are your top three John albums? Number three is probably Imagine. Number two, well, no, no. Take that back. Number three is Walls and Bridges. Number two is Imagine. Okay. And number one is Mind Games. Good. This <laughs> 2002 mix is so great. Uh-huh. Have you heard it before? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, when I first heard it, the only thing that I could hear that was different, well, everything is much clearer in the mix, yeah. but you hear uh, some keyboard in the song Mind Games that I didn't hear before. Um, bring on the Lucy while you're hearing the, the slide part. There's another yeah. guitar that you hear in there that's kind of loud that comes underneath it all that I never heard before. Um, if you listen very carefully, you'll hear things that you didn't hear in the original mix. And it's good. I don't like how they screwed up Meat City because they faded it too soon. Yes, I agree. Um, just like they faded the No-No song too soon on the Goodnight Vienna CD. And you didn't hear everything that was said in the ad living. But... Uh, yeah, but it sounds really great. You know, yeah. I know that a lot of people will, will probably disagree with me, and that's fine. But I, I, I like hearing remixes. I like when everything is clearer, more defined. You can hear the instrumentation better. But I just don't want the balance of the mix to alter. Yeah. Because I think that the Beatles in general, and even Ringo has become a good producer i think that their their production work was fine you know i i have no problem with the 2010 remasters of john lennon at all yeah the walls and bridges one i thought was great which i have on vinyl. Are, uh -huh. are you a cd person or are you a vinyl person most of the time cd I mean, if I had the time to go, my, my turntable is in the living room. And so I have to go and sit on the couch and put the, put the turntable on. Most of the time when I listen to music, I, I listen in the car with a CD player and I still have a CD player. Um, or I listen in this room and I spend a lot of time either playing CDs or since almost every album is on YouTube, just go to YouTube and click it on and play it. So uh, I listen to a lot of music on YouTube if I want to discover new artists or hear new music from old artists that I'm not familiar with, I usually go to YouTube for that. Yeah. YouTube's a great way. Cause that's like how, cause last year, that's like how I discovered half of the solo catalog. And then I just bought physical copies. Cause at first, I mean, I had a lot, all pretty much all of the seventies stuff, but like I didn't have a lot of Paul's latter day stuff until mm. recently actually. And yeah, I was blown away and now I can't stop listening to the solo Beatles. Well, <laughs> good. Yeah, it's this there's so much worthwhile material there. And, you know, when I first started doing Beatles shows in 1982, I was doing it for the fun of it. And I did a Beatles show the way I thought it should be done by mixing the group and the solo stuff together. And, you know, most Beatles programs since then focus on the group and don't play that much on the solo music and when that goes on for decades and decades on the radio and that's what people are exposed to they don't really know the solo music that well 
So one great thing, you know, I, I'm very happy to hear you say how much you love the solo stuff, but the fact that it's all there on YouTube, I mean, you don't have to pay a penny <laughs> to hear any of this stuff. Whereas in the past, you had to go to your record store and buy the vinyl or buy the CD or whatever. And it's a great way to discover all this music. And if you, if you really want to be influential, which I, I have to admit, I certainly want to be, because I want the world to think of these four guys as four of the most brilliant artists of all time, not just having been Beatles. Yeah. Um, while at the same time acknowledging that's the greatest group catalog. You know, I don't, I don't dispute that in any way, shape, or form, but I love them as individuals. And there are so many advantages in getting the solo music and listening to them on their own, especially once you accept their individual styles. Right. I agree with that. Hmm. Um, but definitely, like, the funny thing is, is, like, a lot of people complain how the Sirius XM channel plays the same three Beatles songs. Hmm. When I ever listen to it, it's they're always playing really obscure songs, interestingly. Huh. I mean, I heard For You, Blue, I, Me, Mine, and like an alternate take of All Things Must Pass. It was really weird. <laughs> well, to me, anything the Beatles did as a group, even if it's not a hit, that's not going deep. <laughs> anything from that catalog, For You, Blue, okay, fine. It's nice. Yeah. You know, in most cases, I'd much rather hear album cuts that hear hits only because yes. i've heard the hits so much more yes but i, I really can't comment on the sirius xm channel because i don't get sirius xm i used to be on xm radio for six years oh wow before they merged with sirius i was on two channels and they had a channel called fine tuning which was an all eclectic music channel and the guy who ran it ben smith was a brilliant program director he mixed classical music with rock and jazz and progressive rock and and in some way it was it all made sense <laughs> um and i love that kind of programming and then i was also well every little thing was on that channel okay. my show was never even called every little thing until it was on xm radio it was always called the all request Beatles show because i was too lazy to come up with a good title and uh you know i didn't want to call my show ticket to ride or something else that would be too typical and i didn't want to call it you know uh breakfast with the beatles there's there's too many of those shows out there so i went through all the titles of beatles songs and solo songs and every little thing was made perfect sense because that's what that show really is because yeah. um there was a book that came out in the 70s called all together now which uh, was my first, probably my first Beatle book, but really influenced the way that I thought about the Beatles. Because in that book, you had the group music, you had the solo music up until the end of 1975. You had BBC recordings in there. You had songs the Beatles wrote for other people in there. You had Apple recording artists in there. And um, to me, that's all their catalog. It's not the Beatles as a group up to 1970. That's the cutoff point. That's it. Everything that all four of them have done or have been a part of is part of their resume. It's, you know, it's part of their history. Uh, and, and in so many ways, I look at the songs that they did when they were together 
as belonging to the songwriter. I agree. So Nowhere Man is a John Lennon song with the Beatles backing him up. Number Nine Dream is a John Lennon song with other musicians backing him up. But they both belong to John Lennon, even though they're Beatle recordings and the Beatles added a lot to the song. So it's more a continuation of that. Yeah. And uh, But I was also on the 60s channel on XM and I used to have Beatles news breaks every single week and i had something else just called beetle breaks where um i would talk about a specific beetle song or album and then i'd have a clip of one of the beatles talking about it and i'd score the whole thing and then that would be a setup for the the channel to lead into that song or something from that album so it was cool i was on two different channels this for about six years and um and then they merged together and I lost both of the work on both channels. And, um, and then a few years later, they started the All Beatles channel. And I, I would love to be back on the air there. I know that they, they only want um, exclusive content there. So, you know, something like things we said today or talk more talk or every little thing, it's all out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, anybody especially the podcasts are so easy to, to find and um, it's on demand anytime, you know? Yeah. I mean, you are like, I think you could have a career just as like a Beatles newscaster. Like <laughs> it's so awesome hearing you like nail down every single piece of news. It's well, awesome. you don't get bored with it. No. So even if I'm talking for half an hour of Beatle news, you don't, does it get tiring after a while? I don't get tired talk hearing about the Beatles. I don't. Okay, good. <laughs> I wonder, you know, sometimes. There was one show we did on Things We Said Today, and for some reason, because of our schedules, I didn't have time to put news in. Oh, really? One show, and then one person wrote in on YouTube, what happened to the news? <laughs> <laughs> like, this person's devastated that I didn't put the news in. But... Yeah. Um, but you've also got a lot of people with their own YouTube channels now, and they usually talk about one thing, yeah. you know, when it comes out and then they, they focus on that. And that's a good thing too. But mine is, you know, I like gathering as much news as possible. And one thing that's really good is that between both podcasts, it's now at a point where we alternate weeks. One week I do talk more talk the next week. It's things we said today. And because of that, the news can be different. Whereas when it was the same week, which it was for a while, the news is almost the same. So if you listen to both podcasts, you'll find similar news items. But now that it's alternate weeks, there's always going to be something new that you're going to hear in the next show, news-wise. So, yeah, I'm glad. To me, one of the most important things in doing my shows through the years is, is to present the Beatles as though there's still a lot going on. They're not pure nostalgia. And when you consider that Paul and Ringo are as active as they are at the age that they are, which is so remarkable. You know, I was kidding around when, when, uh, when this pandemic hit, I said, you know, now would be a good time for McCartney 3. Before we ever heard a word about <laughs> it. That was said, me too. Yeah. <laughs> What's Paul going to do? He's locked up, you know. The guy has so many ideas, he can't just sit still. So 
I was kidding around about it. And lo and behold, that's what happened. I said it on my show. I said, McCartney three, baby. And it happened. Yeah. I mean, do do you still brought, so like, um, how have you like kind of maintained busy during the pandemic? Well, between three Beatles shows and a YouTube channel and my website where I have trivia every single week, which you participate in. (laughs) And um, I try to add other stuff. I got to find a way with YouTube. Almost all the interviews I do now are going to be for the YouTube channel. So how do I add interviews on the website, which is strictly audio? And why would you go and listen to audio interviews of what you can actually see on YouTube. Um, So how do I keep adding more content to the website? That's something I have to think about. But believe me, just concentrating on all these shows is a lot of work. Yeah, It really is. Nothing takes up more time than every little thing. Every little thing, you got to write a script, you got to time it. It's got to be within a certain time length. You have to make adjustments to it. Certain stations run Beatles trivia, which I offer as a bonus element if they want to. That takes time to write and produce. And um, that takes far more time than anything else that I do. And I have to say that it is so easy to just live and breathe Beatles when you're doing what I'm doing. And a lot of that is because there's so many Beatle books out there and I try to interview authors. And while you're in the middle of one book, you get another book sent in the mail. And you, there's never enough time to read everything that's out there. So I love reading the books, but I also would like to spend some time listening to other music and be with my family. You know, But it's very easy to get swallowed up in all this Beatle activity. So sometimes you would like a little more freedom. Yeah. I take, for example, with these box sets coming out. I know. Now, Plastic Ono Band's coming out with, what, 152 tracks. Yeah. And we're going to have to review it. You know how much time it takes to listen to everything? Are you going to make notes? Are you going to really? You can't A-B everything. You can't, you know, just take a look at the new mix compared to the 2010 remix. And, you know, everything takes time. Every single archival box set takes time. We're going to have an all things must pass box set. You know, every time McCartney puts out stuff, you know, and almost every year he has put out an archival box set. And then, you know, it's so much easier when it's just one album like McCartney three, and that's all you have to focus on. But when you've got the box set and it's flaming pie and you've got demos and earlier versions and what's the difference between the two of them and there's some videos to watch. It, it all takes time. So it's very time consuming doing all this stuff, but I, I really treasure all the work that I do. Um, I'm very proud of being a part of all these shows. I never thought I would be this involved with the podcasts, but it's a lot of fun. And it's a lot of fun mainly because of the people that I'm working with doing it yeah. and the co-hosts that, I'm, that I have. You know, I haven't met any of your other um, things we said today, co-host, but everybody at Talk More Talk seems really wonderful. Oh, yeah. I mean, Kit is the easiest person in the world to work with. I know. She's a total joy, and she does all the work getting the shows out there on every platform. Yeah. 
all, all I basically do is show up and talk for the most part. That's the easiest thing, except when I when we're talking about a book that you have to read or a box set that you have to learn. That's very time consuming doing the yeah. research for that. Um, and then, like, for example, uh, we just did a show on things we said today with two of the authors of It's All in the Mind, which is part two of the, of the series of books on the Yellow Submarine film. And I'm going to interview those same two authors on my YouTube channel. And I always try to, if I ever duplicate the same people, if I'm interviewing somebody for things we said today, and then I'm doing them privately, I want to make sure it's not the same questions. Yeah. You know, nothing wrong with having a few of the same questions, but you want there. To, so I always make sure if I know I'm going to interview someone twice, I hold off on certain things that I bring up. So that's all intentional. There's got to be a reason for you to go to my YouTube channel to hear me talk to somebody that I've already spoken to in another podcast. So. Yeah. I mean, your interviews are just like, I mean, you, you know your stuff. You know exactly how to do it. I mean, you're the first person that I'm interviewing. So. I'm oh, just, I'm honored. I didn't did interview with Ethan, kind of. We did an episode on Off the Ground, so. That was kind of an interview, but this is like the first one. And thank you so much for doing this, Ken. Well, people like you and Ethan and Sam Wiles and, you know, the young, the younger generation someday when when us older folk are no longer with us, uh, you're going to be you're going to be running this ship. So uh, <laughs> I'm very proud to be here for your for your first uh interview it matters a lot to me how you think and um you know you're gonna carry the torch so Ken, like like the rest of us are you know so what would you like to plug <laughs> oh you know my youtube channel um i just interviewed dylan cv that was a really great interview i gotta tell you this was the longest one so far that's that i put up it's two hours and 20 minutes something like that we could have easily have gone on for five hours, you know, with, with his knowledge and just his opinions on things. And like I said, I'm not looking for people just to agree with me. I like hearing different, different opinions because everyone's opinion matters when you think about it. And, uh, you know, and, and he's a very open-minded guy, Dylan, and he likes a lot of different styles of music. I, I don't know enough about him, but just from this interview, I've learned a lot about him. And, you know, he's going to be teaching me, I hope, if I don't nag him too much, because he knows a lot of uh, new music of today and artists of the last few decades. And I try to listen to some new music if I can. And I'm going to learn stuff from him. You can learn from younger people. You can learn from any age group. And um, opinions are, are fascinating to me. But the one thing I always like to stress is that whatever your opinions are or whatever the public opinion seems to be right now about any of this stuff, the Beatles, the solo, nothing is permanent. People's attitudes and opinions can change. You know, I would love to be able to say that 50 years from now or 100 years from now, people are still going to be listening to the Beatles and they'll think they're the most brilliant artists of all time. I don't know that. None of us knows that. I hope it's true, it but 
you don't know. You don't know how young people in the future are going to be looking back at all this music. You just don't know. You don't know what they'll think of the solo stuff. You know, um, take a look at, we always bring up Ram. Yeah. You know, Ram was an album that was criticized when it first came out, partly because the media wasn't happy with McCartney and they probably blamed him a lot for the for the Beatle breakup. They took that out on him. And, uh, you know, a magazine like Rolling Stone, they like to pit John and Paul together and they sided more with John. And, you know, for those reasons, initially, Ram was not really well thought of at the time. All these years later, there are a lot of people that think it's the best album he's ever done. Right. And I'm how, how do you know 10 years from now, people will be saying, press to play is the best album he's ever <laughs> You just don't know. A lot depends upon what's going on in music then, how people, young people identify with all this music, maybe something with an 80s sound, young people in the future who identify with more at that time. We don't know. None of us knows. <laughs> All we're doing is nobody very good. McCartney too music. Um, nobody has a crystal ball. You know, we, we like to think that it's always going to be this way. And thank God that 50 years after the Beatle breakup, people are still discovering this music. And their archival box sets have all gone top 10 in America. You know, anytime the Beatles or the solo Beatles do well with archival stuff or new, new albums, I'm happy for them. You know, we have no idea how this music is going to be received in the future. Um, I'd like to say, I know, but I don't know. (laughs) You could say, I know, I know, but you don't know. So um, none of us knows. None of us are uh, are magicians and we can figure out, you know, a lot of people think that um, the early Beatles music is very dated now. And I get that from some fans. And I, I feel that way, but it doesn't stop me from loving it just the same. Um, Some people think disco music is dated. I grew up with disco. I didn't go to discos, but I love a lot of disco music. And to me, when I hear Staying Alive, (laughs) it sounds like it could have come out yesterday. I don't think of it as being dated. I don't care about all that stuff. You know, in this this world of podcasts and and analyzing and sometimes overanalyzing, you keep hearing all these phrases. You know, this is held up. This hasn't held up. This is aged well. This hasn't aged well. I don't necessarily relate to all that stuff. If I liked something in the past, I still like it, you know? But it seems to matter to some people whether certain music sounds contemporary. I don't care whether it sounds contemporary or not. Some people think Sgt. Pepper is a very dated album of its time. I still love it. That ain't going to change. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's just how I am. But we don't know what generations from now are going to be thinking about any of this stuff or any of the artists that we've grown up listening to. We just don't know. I agree. So please go subscribe to Ken's YouTube channels. And It's Ken Michaels Radio. I just have the one of my own, but there's a Talk More Talk channel and there's a Things We Said Today channel. 
which I will all link in the descriptions below. Shout out Thank to Evie and Alexanian for the brand new I Know I Know logo. And as like and I as I always say, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. <laughs>